Welcome, welcome, welcome. Marketing Misfits episode 34. This is going to be a good episode, man. I already feel it. Um, this is the retail episode. It's going to be a shopaholics. That's why. Yes. This is <laughs> this the is worst the, group. <laughs> this is the COVID retail episode. Y'all going to appreciate the song I got for us intro, too. I'm excited. I'm ready. Drop it. Wow. Jordan in the back, episode 34 of the Marketing Misfits Podcast. This is a retail COVID episode. I am Mike Summers. Dave Smith, Duke Cornelius. Jeff McHenry. Throw it in the bag. Bab always has a bag to reach into. Always, <laughs> always has a bag to reach into. <laughs> Episode 34, Someone Be Infinite Podcast, Throw in the Bag Remix. I really enjoyed that. Thank Yo, you. I did. <laughs> that was excellent, Michael. I told you, I'm all off the dome today, man. It's all off the dome. You got to do this every day now. You know what's, <laughs> what's crazy about that song is that he had Dream on the original and then sampled his voice for I, the I, remix. Yes. Killed it. Yeah. Yeah. Killed like, that's it. crazy. Oh, that's great. I sampled my own shit. Yeah. <laughs> recycling, man. Y'all always telling us to recycle. We recycling. Exactly. I appropriate myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a crazy flex. That's a crazy flex. Uh, Jay-Z going to take that bar for the next yeah, hour. Yeah, <laughs> Entrepreneur remix. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, so this is the retail um, episode. We want to talk about a few key things that, are, that we're seeing um, in COVID and how things may or may not change um, after. Uh, actually, so speaking of the, the song, we're kind of overplaying or, or play, played over for, for that intro. Uh, there was an interesting article uh, from Rolling Stones talking about stores mis- misusing background music um, to help kind of promote sales. Uh, Jeff, do you actually want to give us the details on the article? Uh, yeah. Hold on, let me pull this. I'll up. put Jeff on the, uh, on yeah, the spot on that one. So there was, and, and I, I kind of give the, uh, the highlights. Okay. Um, in essence, uh, apparently, which I didn't know, it is illegal to be using your personal streaming rights within stores um, or any kind of um, any type of uh, company establishment. Um, and there's actually been a company, I can't think of the name of it, maybe Jeff will see it before I do, um, who is actually... Soundtrack your brand? Yeah. Yes. Um, who is actually partnering with labels um, on developing a... Um, a separate streaming partnership and, and kind of contract to, as opposed to your nine ninety nine subscription, you have Spotify paying a thirty forty dollars subscription uh, for your 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 um, retail. Um, and the rationale is, they're saying, if if my song is helping you, you know, sell more product, then we should be compensating more to those artists and, and everyone yep. else involved on the back end. Yeah, because the biggest thing is that, or what a lot of people don't realize, essentially anywhere you you hear music, the label is typically getting a cut of that. On top of that, in this case with the the stores, the artists aren't getting paid for their music being played. And you know, when you go into you know H and M, Zara, this is when the world is normal. But like, 
when you go into all these different stores, the artists aren't getting any sort of cut uh, from that. So what this company has done is created a playlist of different songs that these different uh, businesses can choose from in order to play in their stores and also ensure that the artists are properly compensated uh, for that. And so it's one of those interesting things where we don't realize, like, even little things, like, if I wanted, if I own a store and I wanted to play a little playlist of music, like, the artist ain't getting a cut off that. Um, and so I think what's what's really cool about this initiative is that it's it's creating an avenue for the artists to continue to get paid wherever their music is played. It should be noted that the person that started this company mm-hmm. also was the COO of Beats by Dre. Yeah. So, like, yep. <laughs> to understand, yeah. he understands yeah. the realm of music. So yeah. it's not just some random situation. I also, can I call bullshit on it a little bit? Talk to him. Uh, I, I agree, by the way. <laughs> and, and and I don't want to, one, everybody go out there and get their bag. Um, so so from a business perspective, go out there. You see, you see a business opportunity, develop it. I'm not calling bullshit on you. You do that. Um, as a, a business that's paying on the other side, if I buy fancy plates, do I need to be paying those the people you know macy's that i bought these plates from more because it's helping me you know sell, sell my dinner more it, if the colors on my wall um are making people buy more uh clothes like do i pay whoever made that color more like at a certain point it's even it is, this even goes into kind of like sampling mm-hmm. at a certain point you're taking pieces of other people's art in order to make your own art and i don't know where you can draw the line like if you start paying people more for music for selling and, and if your music sucks and it, i sell less product do i pay you do less I, do I, no do i get a refund yeah like, exactly. i think the biggest hole is what if i'm the homie that's really in the music aka mike so what if mike plugs his laptop in all that music is owned you know and i'm not streaming it then what yes that artist is still helping me does that mean that i've you know shafted them out the bag no so yep. I, I do feel like it's kind of bullshit, but I would say the other side of that coin is we all know whether it's the different movies or even, you know, Nipsey Hussle, shout out, you know, un- people understanding the different value for different, not only platforms that you're streamed on, but just the value of your music. And it's like artists have come a long way and I want them to get their bag, but it's, this is a sticky situation. It is. And as a DJ, I actually, I mean, I grew up in an app age. Like I, I bootlegged music all through DJing. <laughs> Because I couldn't Don't want snitch on yourself, man. No, it's fine. <laughs> but one, like as being on the radio, you give me your music for free to pub it. Two, as a DJ who's trying to play your music and get you more sales, I can't afford to buy every single album that comes out and still make an income. Like, it, and I and I, I'll pay into a record pool and and you know I'll, I'll do that to exchange music. And there are avenues for that. But at the same time, it's like there's a certain aspect of like this is promoting your music and getting you exposure, and I don't know where we're drawing that line of everybody has to get a uh, have their hand in. in it's the, like in that the free internship, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think the only thing that I would challenge on that is like it depends on how much you value the experience. So part of that too, it's like if you open a bar and you want to actually show, uh, you want to show basketball, you want to show sports or whatever, you are going to have to pay for that. You can't go and have a Netflix account and then start playing crazy movies like in, in your establishment without there sort of being some repercussions from that as well. So like all of those things, music is just vastly undervalued. And I think that's what you're starting to see. And whether we agree with like how much value the music should actually have, historically, especially because customers expect that to be a free commodity, it's vastly undervalued. So, yes, when you go into a store, 
they're playing the right songs, you're getting in the zone, you're going through listening to your fab and dream, like, you might actually buy more stuff. There's studies that'll show that that could actually happen. So that's creating the experience in your store. So, like, if you realize the power of music in terms of knowing what to play, how to kind of affect your consumer's moods, then it's absolutely worth the premium cost. It's just that historically, music has been vastly undervalued, and that's the bigger issue. Well, I don't want to, but but in a time of COVID <laughs> and not having those or those interactions with stores being few, few and far in between, as a consumer, I don't want those costs to trickle down to me. Yep. You, it doesn't. Like though. I'm saying, I can see a world where it, it will eventually. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. this is overhead now. Yeah. If you're talking about experience, this is no different than me putting a, a a chair in the in the in the waiting room area before the dressing rooms. But that, but again, I think it depends on again. These are this this service broke at the wrong time. So let's just, oh, like, let's, let's just call let's it keep fact. that. Let's funky. just call it back to fact. <laughs> but let's say if it were the right time, in reality, the fact that. Even with the gentleman that at this table, you go to a bar, you go to a, a store, whatever. When the music is right, you have a different experience. This is true. And I agree. The, it, it, you have a different experience. You might even choose which establishment you go to based on what music that they play for the bar, but not the shopping. It, it depends. Like if you're sitting there and all you're listening to like is crazy BPMs from some EDM music, mm-hmm. like you might be like, "Get me the fuck out of here." I was I was also going to tell you because I live in New York, I have headphones in every time I go shopping. True. And that's a very specific thing to New York. I agree. In the New York, New York way of life. I agree. But people who are in their cars, driving, going into stores. Absolutely. Like, it could be a little bit different. But I, I say all that to say this, is that historically music has been undervalued, and that's why these sort of things are going to start happening, because people are just trying to get the money that they've been due for however many years. So it's just yeah. a pendulum yeah. swing. I just think this is a music-unique thing. So I, I just don't know where you draw the line between, again, if you're shopping, the tables, the paint on the wall... Uh, the building that it's in, Deer Park gonna get a gonna get a, a cut of the water they give me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> like I don't keep me know. hydrated while I'm shopping. Yeah, yeah. If you go into Tiffany's, you get champagne. Does that champagne company get? Do you need to pay more for that bottle of champagne? I do agree with you, though. I do believe that it is undervalued, but I think we need to pick and choose our spots with where we are going to lean into it heavy. You know what I'm saying? Like we can't. Yes, I think we're getting to the point where we're trying to overcorrect for what Napster did to the music industry 15 years ago. And not even just, and in, in to be totally candid, not just what Napster did in the music industry, what the labels have done to music artists. Agreed. And I'm for 100% on board with part. that. Yeah. So like any any avenue for artists to be able to enhance their revenue stream. Agreed. I will 100% support that idea, however ridiculous it sounds, because <laughs> artists have been owed. So like I agree with you on that. You know what I mean? So that that's my only that's fair. My only thing. Yep. And ain't got no tour money right now. None. Yeah. Hurting. Um I actually want to get into you with you guys. Um and we, we have an article here. We can get into this article or not, but um just around drops um during during COVID. Um I like to so so I think everybody on, on this podcast knows we drop culture. Uh one thing we didn't explain, I said I said get your bag. Uh, that's kind of slang. Um, get, get money. If you're a um, marketer that doesn't know that term, yeah, you are yeah, listening yeah. to the wrong podcast. Yes, get your money. Um, but so drop culture, um, which I'm kind of dropping an exclusive product that, that has a limited um, supply um, in a short period of time. So Supreme Palace um, as examples, Nike. Um, just kind of wondering you guys' kind of perception of uh, an experience of drop culture over COVID. It sucks. Because everybody's home and they're not distracted at work. 
and I can't get any sneakers. Well, let me tell you, when 10, <laughs> when 10 a.m. comes, yeah, because tomorrow I'm gonna be on it button. for that Jordan three, the denims. I'm trying to get tomorrow. <laughs> I miss the silver joints, and I'll be won't. sick. I'm be sick because everybody's at home. But I will say, so, so two things for me. One, the, the resale value on them has been pretty good, but good as a buyer. It depends. As a as a buyer, mm. depends on the shoe. It does depend on the shoe. Because the, the lower tier to mid tier sneakers, your Jordan 1s, like the Royal Toes, like those aren't going to move the way. Like, you need to hit a home run. The Ben Jerry joints, the Travis Scott joints. These are all sneakers by Nike, by the way, folks. And like, it depends on the actual shoe. It's more nuanced now than it was before. It is. And typically, just to kind of de- describe the culture, so you have these, these sneakers, uh, just using Nike as an example, you have these sneakers drop um, the next hour on StockX and. Um, Goat. Goat, you you'll see these same sneakers for a a higher price, which also tells you what the demand is. So like there, as long as there's a higher price, then I, I think the drop culture is is going strong. Um, I think during COVID that price has gone down, even though all these things have sold out. Because I, I just my guess is we just have less money floating around in the economy. Great. Um, but then also there's a, a problem. What gets me frustrated is I don't I don't win on any drops. I stopped. I just I'm in a group chat with with every drop that goes through it, so I just watch it to, to I know what I need. But I always lose because of the bots and yeah. and, and bots. Uh, you know people and for for people on the podcast like people are just making uh, bots on their computer who are beating out everybody for these 10 a.m. drops on on yep. Nike.com and then just reselling and making in the market out of it. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's I'm on lose. the app right now. I can't believe y'all brought this up, man. Damn. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they over there depressed, boy. Like, you know that counting your L's. <laughs> Look, there's only certain things that I've missed out on. Um, shameless marketing misfits plug for the read, though. Um, excuse me, not the read, um, which is also a great podcast. Um, for the daily, um, there was an episode recently on the Sunday read called Sweatpants Forever. And while it's not about tennis shoes, it does talk about drops, fashion supply chain and how COVID has affected everything. I would highly recommend it for anyone yeah. who's remotely interested in fashion and, and I guess the, uh, the politics and the world behind of what we buy and what we put on every day. It's True. A, it's a really True. great episode. And, and we also don't promote other podcasts. On our <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you to say that. I, I saw Mike scoot up in his chair. I was like, oh, he's about to, he's about to get up. <laughs> no, like no other podcast exists. <laughs> shameless plug. Shameless plug. Um, yeah, have you have you guys been picking up L's, picking up W's? Do you think it's do you think drop culture post COVID is this is going to be the same pre COVID? Well, I I think the interesting thing to keep an eye on is just uh, the supply and demand nature of it all, right? Because drop culture is built on having limited supply, so there's more demand exclusivity. So yeah. what's happening now is obviously the amount of clothing that can actually be produced is probably going to decline just because of supply chains and, and all that sort of stuff. So there may be a world where drop culture almost becomes the norm and it could affect just sort of uh, how that culture exists in the first place. But an important thing to note is that drop culture is also built off hype. So, like, to that point, if you can't build something that's intriguing enough uh, to build that demand, to build that hype, then drop culture doesn't necessarily work. However, what's happening now is that you're seeing more brands going direct to consumer with small quantities of products selling out of it. So the revenue is great from being able to do business in that way. So it's I don't know how it's necessarily going to affect drop culture, but I think the supply and demand nature of it and especially the D to C aspect of it direct to consumer uh, is also something interesting to observe. Yeah, so, if, you, if you take a look at the tech field for that, for that matter, if you look at Apple, they're talking about how the next phone will, will be 
the regular size version of the phone will will drop normal uh, normal time September, um, and the larger uh, the larger size the max whatever that is of the iPhone will be dropped in October because of supply chain issues. So I think that that's going to continue to be an issue for a lot of different companies across industries, right? Because if you are only doing a limited drop and you can't get you can't get it for the date that you wanted it because a lot of these drops are really supposed to be drops weren't designed for it to be a sustainable model for for releasing product. Yep. It was built to be a shot in the arm for you to be able to be top of mind for your name to be out there and you know Nike has perfected this because every time there's a shoe drop the sneakers app trends on Twitter. Yep. Swear I swear to you since March anytime it's a sneaker drop that people want it the next 5 minutes they're tweeting about how they did not get the shoe. Mm. Or or for the for the 10 people on the planet that actually got them they're tweeting about how they did get it. So yeah, I to 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 just point I I don't think that I don't think I don't think it's gonna change much, but I think it's going to be it's going to be um, people are gonna scale it and you and use it in the wrong way. Yep. And they won't really understand why it won't work, but really it's because your brand cachet you, you haven't you know you're new to this, you're not true to this. So. <laughs> and and the, the, the supply chain um, aspect of it, the or supply and demand aspect rather um, of it, they actually referenced in um, an article that that we're referencing on on high beast. beast, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that really kind of talks about. So there was some there was some feedback, and they interviewed a lot of different people who were in the industry, and they asked, "Do you think the supply is getting um, too high because so many people are doing drops now?" Mm. And what they answered the answer back was, "No, because one that the idea of a drop is limited edition, so it inherently is, is not oversupplying. Uh, what's oversupplying is is fast fashion, and you look at H and M who's burning." No tons of, of clothes. Ten tons. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, clothes. exactly. It's yeah. crazy. Ten, ten, I think 2017. Um, mm, 17, yeah. And I just say that because I think they actually have an initiative for you to bring back clothes to, to H&M for yeah. recycling. And now. they give you a discount. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I would assume that they, they've changed that now. But those aspects are what's, um, is what's oversupply. And as long as you see, you know, in this resale market, a higher price and and then that says that the demand is is still there yeah um there may be an aspect of us just buying too much shit yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. no that's that's an actual thing yeah american culture yeah we We consume yeah and but we buy so much and we give away so much john oliver has a great episode about the donation um culture in america and how they can't take anymore there's not enough people to to take these clothes yeah i I think one interesting case study to think about as it relates to drop culture is what's happened with yeezy brand i mean so Mm -hmm. if you remember when it first started with yeezy uh and adidas it was limited quantities and then they just sold out of all that stuff and they built the hype you got the resale market but what's happened, and actually how Kanye became a billionaire, mm-hmm. is that they started to release more massive quantities of that product. And so what ended up happening is that they didn't have the limited supply and were able to sell out of that stuff. But then they actually were almost operating at like normal sort of supply with like the more recent releases. And they ended up selling out of that product because they had already built a cachet around the brand. So. That's just something interesting just that I've observed over the past few years in terms of, uh, you know, how it started with drop culture and then slightly evolved from there. Yep. Yep. I should respect um, drop culture uh, that I think has been traditionally more of like your hype beast brands like a Supreme, um, but Nike being able to kind of do it adequately and, and, and lead 
as a mega brand. Uh, a lot of times, like us large brands, kind of look at these smaller brands, like being able to be more nimble and be able to do things that that um, larger brands can't do. Nike's done it mm-hmm. and done it really, really well. Mm-hmm. Well, Nike, Nike. The thing about Nike, and this was a Harvard Business Review article that I sent you all earlier, and it was it was like the new baseline is like the brick and mortar was already going it only further ex- accelerates something that we've already known we've already been going to the store less yep we got to a point now where we couldn't go at all you know nike shut down all their stores i mean but they're still profitable people still buying sneakers why because nike leaned into tech before all of this mm-hmm. and so if you want to take it to like the small business realm in terms of marketing and businesses like the restaurants that that were fighting against being on your DoorDashes, your Postmates, and Uber Eats now is like, oh, shit, we don't have a choice. We have to lean into this in order to survive. So if you had a business model where you understood, like, if you go on the Nike sneakers app right now, it looks like Instagram. They have stories and stuff now. They got narratives around buying shoes. They got they have uh, polls for how if you buy this shoe, you're gonna keep it on ice. You're gonna wear it now. They got all of this stuff <laughs> and, and how you and how you interact with that tells them a lot about their shoe. Let's say for every single drop they do, they ask if you're going to wear them now or keep them on ice. It, it informs them of what shoe they should probably lean into the most because yeah. they want you wearing them because you're walking billboards. Mm. So mm. so let, let, let's get in that, that uh, HBR article. Um, they have three key themes um, in it, uh, talking about a new baseline as well as rethinking the in-person experience as well as digitally native customer experience. Mm-hmm. Um Still, you want to take it or you want me to take it? No, go ahead. You got to be dog. Uh, <laughs> I support you. <laughs> so there were so there were a few things in it, and the HBR um, article was essentially about we're all kind of preparing for how to survive through COVID, but some of this shit ain't changing when when we come out. So how are you actually adjusting for the new world we live in? Um, so so it started off with kind of a new baseline. Um, and it talks about a new baseline of retailers how they accept just kind of the aspect of um, brick and mortar operations being very, very different from a health um, aspect. So wearing masks, talking about the number of people in there, talking about the, 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 your ability to kind of have customer service that can get consumers in and out of that experience in, in a in, in a efficient way. Um, and, and that may be different for, for different um, retailers. It may be different for you know, a, a Shake Shack or a, a Nike shoe drop who may have, or Apple release who have mm-hmm. a, a long line versus um, some other ones who, who may not always have that kind of um, that experience. So mm-hmm. nobody, not necessarily nobody, but people won't be necessarily um, as accepting of kind of sitting in a store for hours and hours and hours, 100%. which we've all probably done in and, Apple. At and some even, point. and this is, this is something they didn't mention, but would be the new baseline. On the other side of that, the fast fa- the fast fashion companies, your Intedex, which owns Zara, and your um, H&Ms, one, we don't have any place to go. Yep. That's number one. Number two, fast fashion <laughs> only works if it's like, oh, damn, I'm in D.C., you know, for the weekend. I, I, I forgot to bring a button up. Let me pop in here real quick and get a button up and some socks. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because we don't. We don't really, or people that shop at H&M don't really shop offline. It's like, or online rather, they pop in the store, pick something up real quick, 
yeah. and bust a move. Yeah. And That's that model for fast fashion. And the other thing about the fast fashion models is based on trend. So yes. when everyone's at home, ain't no trends. Sweatpants forever. You know yeah. what I mean? So what are the trends that you're going to want to go to the store to say, oh, I've been seeing people wearing this on the street. I want to buy my version of that. You're not, you don't have that right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's, yeah. Uh, let's get that merch though. Sweatpants forever. That's a great shirt. Yeah. 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 Let's, yeah. Let's, let's make it, Speaking make of trends, I didn't, I didn't notice uh, Dave's Outcast shirt today. Stank on you. Stank on you. I actually bought this same shirt like three, four years ago, but oh, I, bought, I bought it too small and never and got small enough. And you donated it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the same you one. You could have saved Dave his 28 bucks for sure. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like, yeah, you got this, bro. When I lose his five pounds, it's your deal, That snapback. Yeah, it never happens. <laughs> that snapback back is important. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so the second thing they brought up was the rethinking in-person experience, and there was kind of a huge, I think, focus within the industry of just building up your your in-store experience, um, and saying essentially people will have to to kind of uh, overthink this or, or or further think this in order to give people kind of a reason to expose themselves to health risk within stores. I think totally. what's um, so left left the uh, bubble of New York uh, this past weekend, uh, went up to Portland, Maine, and I think that um, one I felt extremely safe. Um, I felt like they had all the things in, in, in place, wear your masks, blah, 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 everything that we've known or have been told that will keep us safe. But but the, the biggest thing I saw, two things. One, the QR code is having a massive comeback. comeback. Mm. Big time. The QR yeah. code is. Wow. Big is, time. And, and, and it's so. Yes. That's a big fact. It's so very oh, functional and simple. And essentially what it facilitates is this thing of I want to serve you. But I don't want to in, in, uh, invade your personal space. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, it provides the perfect thing for the retailer. And then the second thing is how do you give a consumer very quickly a personal experience, right? If you are able to dine at a restaurant, it's because you are sitting outside. And if you are sitting outside, that's meaning that they're trying to limit your contact with you. So there has to be very high-impact feelings of, you know, this you projecting this energy, you, the business of, I'm here to take care of you. I'm here to keep you safe. Spend this money. And that's hard to do in a very short amount of time. I was about to say, because if you think about the QR code aspect of it, it's like, and this is what I've learned about COVID in every single industry. Like, I think we'll all agree with this. It's only further accelerating things we've already known. Correct. Right? So mm-hmm. you think about the QR code. We've known that it's probably going to be robots that's going to be bringing out your food real soon. <laughs> anyway, so it's like, mm-hmm. if I just get the menu and I order the same way I order on Seamless when I'm at the crib and you just bring it you out. You just bring the food to that's me. That's it. And and look, and and, and you got to smile at me. I can't even yeah. see your fucking face. Yeah, exactly. My language. Right. Your <laughs> you eyes. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got to smile with it all with your eyes. Like, it, it's a totally different service experience but i do think that that's also making the service industry kind of lean on what people go out for yeah because they got less to they got less tools you gotta work with (laughs) less to make you feel like oh that was great because you still they still asking for tips that that didn't change you know so yeah it's, it's it's a very interesting way that we're 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 headed i guess and then, and then the last point they have on here is is talking about the digitally native customer experience, yep. um, and really talking about more. So I think consumer or retailers have tried very very much to replicate the um, cons- the in store experience online. You even saw that with Macy's uh, over the last couple of years, of trying to trying their hardest to um, make it feel like you're in store and kind of walking around and have kind of a, a retail assistant um, help you. But but what we're talking what they're talking about here is how do you 
more so embrace technology mm-hmm. and create a great digital experience. Like, do you need to be investing more in different size models or mannequins mm-hmm. to wear different uh, your the clothes to show how it fits on these different sizes? Or even uh, like different technology to help you size yourself at home. Like like correct. like yep. Warby Parker did this you know, such a big deal, right? AR exactly mm-hmm. to be able to you know upload a picture of yourself or. Move your head in a way that you can see yourself through those frames to see if they fit you, right? So. Yeah, because I, I think to that point, it would also be under, it would be important to understand consumers' behaviors as they go into the store and why they want to go to the store in the first place. So one would be that you go to the store because you can look at anything you want online. You ain't going to know how it fit until you try it on. Yeah. So that's one thing. Yeah. And then I guess the other piece of it, too, is that I actually don't know what I want. So I want to go to a store and be able to touch, feel, explore the sensory experience. So, like, whoever can figure out how to package that in an interesting way in an in-store experience, I think are going to be the companies that win. Yeah, I – um now we've gone through, like, the, all the, the relevant topics. Uh, my piece, I, I, I think um, – goes back to the snapback, and I think everything that they're saying is true, and we have to prepare ourselves for that. And if you're ignorant and thinking it's the exact same world when you come out, then, then you're wrong. However, I, I do believe in the same thing. We talk about, like, social justice. Um, it's a rubber band, and throughout, throughout historically, we've stretched, stretched, stretched that rubber band, and then you snap it back. Um, and that doesn't mean that it snaps back at the same tightness that it was before. Mm-hmm. It ends up being a little bit looser. Things are a little bit different. Mm. But wherever it is at that, that highest tension isn't necessarily where it's going to stay. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I think people need to prepare themselves. At the same time, um, there's an aspect of, of uh, this, the world will come back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah the world yeah. will come back. No, I totally agree. Where we're at. Um, Awesome episode. Um, we could do another another shopping song, a little balling. There it is. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I forgot how sensual this starts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the sample. It is. It it's is definitely the sample. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in to episode thirty-four of the Marketing Misfits podcast. Uh, retail in COVID. Uh, I am Mike Summers, Dave Smith, Stu Cornelius, Jeff McHenry. And we'll be back. Rate, review, tell a friend, tell a homie, tell a colleague, tell your black colleague, tell your white colleague, tell the other ones too. And we'll be here next week. Cause I'm balling I was waking up getting racks in the morning I was broke, now I'm rich, these niggas salty All this designer on my body got me drip, drip and Straight up by the objects, I'm a big trip If I got up on a lean, I'm a sip, sip I run the racks up with my queen like London and Nip But I got rich on all these niggas, I didn't forget back